I heard it before. I just wanted to make sure. Am I there? Yep. I can't even see me. Oh, there I am. Hi. Hi. I do not know if I'm okay, <laughs> but I, I would say that I'm relatively okay. So, what are some things that you long for in this life? Hey, girls, that's for you too. What are some things that you long for in life? Like, you guys are all about 13-ish, yeah? What are some things, like, seriously think about some things in your life or some things that you would want out of life? What are some things that you guys want out of life? As you walk with Christ Jesus, what are some things that you want? Support. How does child support? No. <laughs> <laughs> art, art support? Um, <laughs> Some kind of caring. What's that? Caring support? You got nervous oh. for a hot minute. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No. Right? So, so what is it? What is it you're looking for? Anna says caring support. Peace. So loving support, what is that? Where does that come from? Because it's perfect for where we're going tonight. But I really want you guys to understand, like, what is it that you're looking for? Because there's a real good chance that the very things that you're looking for in, in this life, somebody else is looking for it too. I know that as a young boy, all I wanted to do was be loved. I just wanted somebody to care enough for me. And the circumstances in life led me to believe a lie that nobody could love me. And many of us fall for that, for that same work, that same lie of the enemy that I'm not good enough, I'm not enough, I'll never be good enough, I'll never be enough. And it's just not accurate. It's not true. So how do, how do God and church fit in to your plan or your thought or your idea? Serious question. How does God fit in? Or does he? Fits in pretty nicely in my life. Does your does your thinking and your planning and your dreaming revolve around God? That's actually something I've been contemplating for probably four months now, and I find myself being driven more and more and more towards desiring His kingdom and righteousness than anything else. Amen. But you already have His righteousness. Exactly. Now to get your behavior to follow. We're all in the same boat. I'm not pointing to you. I'm pointing to everybody. That's why I like that. I agree. And so, so we as a church, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, have to really get to this point where our dreams, our whole, our whole body, everything about us should be revolving around God. Like it just comes from this, this beautiful place, but it takes a minute, right? And as we talked about, Unforgiveness. I, I was listening to the tape from two weeks ago or three weeks ago, last time we met, and I talked about wanting to drop some people once in a while. Like I could just bore them. I, but I had to hear it. I had to hear myself where I thought myself to be cute. Am I being cute? Am I being a pastor? What am I being? What is it that my behavior is given to you guys? And so I, as the leader, even though I have a strong desire to be relatable to you, I also need to be a step up ahead 
while being a step behind to lift you up and encourage you. Does that make sense? And so it's this really unique place. And, and God is calling in 2022 for the church to be a place of action. Well, if I'm running around like every other jack wagon that's running the streets, why would you listen to me? Why would you be encouraged by anything that falls from my mouth? And why would you follow anything that I say that God is calling us to do? Why would you? Because I would really be no different than anybody else. And so it's not putting myself above you. It's actually putting myself below you that I can be a support and a lifter, if that makes sense. So to be talking sometimes the way that I do, I must ask for forgiveness because I make callous jokes or, or whatever. And it's not, it's not the way that I want you guys to grow up because I'm called to be your shepherd and the shepherd has to lead you to good feeding grounds so that you can eat good grass and drink good water and grow, right? Because there's a harvest coming and, and what, what you are fed is what you will reproduce. And so I need to show you God. Not that I'm perfect. We've had enough stories of me not being perfect. But I need to get my stuff in order, okay? So that's some of my dreams. So Psalm 133. Everybody in Psalm 133. All right. Got it. <laughs> yep. Got so it. Jody. One, got it. Two, got it. Got it. Got it. Three, got it. Four, got it. <coughs> Let's see if the people are very close. There we go. Everybody's there. So we're going to read. We're going to read these first few verses here. Well, it's actually the whole thing. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. We are brothers and sisters of Christ Jesus, amen? amen? And we need to understand that. And so what is this telling us? How beautiful a thing that we would be, that the unity would be like the oil that was placed on Aaron. And Aaron was of the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priests. They were sanctified. They were set apart. They were set apart to be those that went to God. They went to the Holy of Holies. And so this oil was cleansing and it was so purifying and so magnificent that they would drench him and his kin, his clan. And it would cleanse them so they could be next to God. And so our unity is like that oil. It's cleansing. There's something in it. There's something in our unity that, that we as a church, we as a body of believers must get to this point where we understand like we can have differences, and differences are okay. <coughs> but if we want to argue and get all upset and get all up in arms with one another, 
we're wrong. That's not unity. That's not what God is calling us for. Christ did not have to get to the cross so we could scream and yell at one another and try and be right. But I'll be ding-dinged if we don't do it. Virtually every day there's a house in it, or there's an argument in almost every house in America about who's right on this one, who's wrong on that one. And what's the point? Where do we get to? Where do we get to with that? Versus where do we get to with this? Like, do we know what's worth fighting for? Do we even know what's worth fighting for? So why would we hold on to all the negative and all the garbage that the enemy wants to show to bring discord to us? That wants to bring division to us? That's what it's for. If you're fighting that it's divisive, that it's breaking you apart, your desire, your strong need to be right, and it's breaking people apart, then how right will you ever be? And how important or valuable is your right? I say it a lot. It's better to be righteous than right. Mm -hmm. And I also say you can be right as rain and still be wrong as hell. Because your right destroys somebody else who might just need a leg up, who might just need a way that they can be heard because they, you don't know where they've been. And so why do I talk about this? What, what's the point? Um, Matthew Henry's commentary, what is it that is commended? Brethren dwelling together in unity, not only not quarreling and devouring one another, but delighting in each other with mutual endearments and promoting each other's welfare and mutual services. I find myself struggling with this. Because whether I like it or not, sometimes I judge. And I judge people by the fruit that I can easily see. So I pick the low-hanging fruit, and I can cast a judgment on them that's incorrect about who they are. Because I don't know where they've been. And I'm slam-dunking them, and I'm right, but I'm still wrong. So what's important? Why is this, why is this psalm in here? How is it that we get to devour one another in our homes, in our churches, in the streets? If we are to be a church that dwells in unity, what will that mean for each of us? So when we put our dreams, so we start dreaming and praying to God about 2022, that God, what do you have for me? Why do you think I ask what your dreams have to do with God? And how does that fit into the church? I'm getting somewhere, beloved. I'm getting somewhere with this. And it's important that you get it because this is January 1st, 2022. How many of you guys have been here before? Well, not this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so it's a new year. It's a new day. It's a new time. It's a new season. And everybody's worried about making all these uh, resolutions. And how many of them stick to it? There's gyms across America getting filthy rich over this next week. Mm -hmm. If people are writing checks and absolutely automatic withdrawal, take that, take that money. Easy money. And then go to the gym for seven days, ten days, fifteen workouts, and then this comes up or that comes <coughs> up. Bye-bye. And, and never see the gym again. What's the difference in the church? 
What's the difference in the church? We say we love Jesus, and then we act like the world. Have we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in fullness and in truth? You need to know. It's not a time to question. It's a time to know. Because if Christ dwells in your heart, then some things are about to change. We're about to get crazy up in here. Mm, hallelujah. People will look at this church and say, what? I said, oh yeah. Watch out. Jesus is coming down the street. See that very band of freaks over there? <laughs> yeah, they're Bible thumpers. What are they coming to do? They're coming to love us. They're probably going to rake that old lady's lawn. They're probably going over here to love this person. They're probably going over there to do that. Who knows those do-gooders? Sure. What the, what the problem is. Right? Like, what, what would happen if we actually did church? If we did what God was calling us to do, what would that look like? It would confuse the heck out of people. It would confuse the heck out of Satan. He would be lost. When Jesus told him, uh, thanks but no thanks, he's like, what? Let me try this again. And he said, ah, no, 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 no. And Satan like, all right, I got one more. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I know the scripture. And I know my father. And he didn't call me to that. He called me to this. So if you know the scripture and you know your father, and then you know what he called you to and what he didn't call you to, but church, we're acting all confused like we don't know. Just because Satan paints a prettier picture in the now, it's eternal damnation to follow that. So what does it mean for torn? What are your dreams? If we're a church that dwells in unity, what will that mean for torn? Be thinking about torn. Remember we took those spiritual gift tests? We're about to, in the next few weeks, I'll be dropping you guys each a thing that tells you what your three top gifts were, what those each mean, and, and then we'll be breaking up into things, and this is where it's all going. We're getting somewhere. If you trust me, promise you that we're getting somewhere. So do you know what we stand for and believe in? Why are we different? And is that a good thing? So why is Torn different? Because how many people think we just need another church doing church just like all the other churches are doing? Because how are the, how many churches we have in town? Too many. Not too many. Not too many. Not too many. Do you know, Henry? Uh, too many doing the same thing. I, I am going to guess upper 30s would be a guess. Fair? We'd be right or wrong. But either way, do we need another church? No, we don't. What we need to do is we need to be a, a church that prays for the other churches, that they will understand their calling and they will have the audacity to rise up to that specific calling because it's not a bad church in town. But the enemy has led our churches away from God's calling to pacify a Christian that doesn't want to be motivated out of their lounger. Amen? And we can't we can't tear them down, you know, like, oh those Catholics are so stupid, oh those Lutherans are so bad. That ain't for me. That's hatred, isn't it? 
Isn't that condemning words, or is that uplifting? Well, they're condemning. condemning. They're condemning, and are we called to condemn everybody who doesn't believe like us? No. Right, we are called to lift up. And so as I take that seat right underneath you guys, so that I can lift you guys up, you guys take a seat right underneath that next person, and you lift them up. And next thing you know, because guess who's under my bottom? Pushing me up. Jesus. I take my orders from the Lord. And he's lifting me up. He's like, come on, Scooter. Let's go, boy. You got this, kid. Come on. And he's encouraging me every step of the way. And no matter what I screw up, no matter what I do wrong, he's right there and he says, you're still good, boy. I still love you. I still got you. I ain't going nowhere. And each of us can use that message repeated in our heart and our ears day in and day out. Amen? Because that's the message that knows that we will always be in the righteousness of God the Father. We will always be in right standing with God. There is nothing that you're going to do that's going to take you out of that. You're going to mess up. But if your heart's in the right place, you're not going to do really bad. You're going to feel that conviction in your heart. And that's a good thing to feel it. So do you know what we stand for at Torn? Do you know what we believe in? Uh, so why are we different? So our vision, this is it's getting uh, reworked over the next few months, but this is the vision and the mission that we have. Torn will be a conduit for God's love to shine truth, hope, and love to the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely. So if I, all I smell is your B.O. and see your bad devil work and your nasty hair, and I said, nah, I can't deal with you. Have I fulfilled this mission? No. If I welcome anybody who walks through this door, anybody who walks through this door, am I fulfilling this mission? Yes. yes. All right. So now how do we do this? How do we give that? So we welcome them in. We even meet them on the streets. We greet them on the streets because if you remember, we're lower and lifting up. That is our mission from underneath to serve and push up, right? People need the help out of the mud. You and I, we have this supernatural force field around us that get down in that mud with them and push them up and out of it. But mission, we will do this through Christ-centered and Christ-honoring relationships built at the speed of trust. So what's that tell you? What words are you picking out of there? Christ-centered. So if I'm Christ-centric, what does that mean? I think it means we meet them where they are. Okay. And then walk alongside them for them to learn absolute truth. Right. So Christ-centric is keeping Christ in the center of everything. So it's really important for us to understand that everything that we do from the point that we take Christ as our Savior has to revolve around Christ. Well, how do I know what Christ does if I can't see him? I go, yo, hey, what's up, Jesus Christos? That's how we know. That's how we know. So that's why we've been opening up our Bibles. That's why it's important to know the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Fine, guys, do you recognize we're going somewhere? Do you feel the move? Like we're, we're moving. We're going somewhere that hopefully is a bit different. All right? We'll do it through Christ-centered and Christ-honored relationships. 
if you want to know how Christ honored people, look through the scriptures. What did he say? What did he say to the woman who had been married five times and now was at the well in the middle of the day shacking up with old number six? You sure you didn't say, hey, skeezer, what's up? Oh, you're my favorite child. He didn't say none of that. He spoke to her with what? Kindness. Kindness and love and grace and mercy. But what he didn't do is he didn't pacify her. He called her on her stuff in love. Do you know how to call somebody on their stuff in love? Most of the time, you're not going to be able to do that until you have some money in the bank. And what I mean by money in the bank is helping out their emotional values so they know that they, they know that you love them, that you care, because nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's something that we need to recognize. So we get people coming in all stankified, just off the streets, struggling with hair on, PCP, LSD, whatever it is. I don't care if it's... Well, it's just weed, liquor. I don't care. It doesn't matter. What if it's just whatever? I don't care. We're going to be a church that loves. Period. Might not always do it perfectly, but that's our goal. That's our mission. And if we love one another and hold one another up, we're going to get a lot farther. Amen? Amen. So we need to do this, and we need to love. And, and you know what? As we build those relationships, that's why I asked Yvonne to come over and sit with you girls. Why is that? Why is it that I don't like cliques in church? Because there ain't no room for somebody new to fit in your clique. I'll guarantee you that. Come on now. We ain't gonna. We don't have one. But but I'm saying it. I'm I'm up front, remember? I'll tell you the truth in love. Right? Right. Right. Yvonne loves to sit there next to her husband. Why disrupt it if they can talk the other 167 hours? Right? <laughs> so, so it's really important. It's really important that somebody's able to see, one, the love and the unity in the room, but also the available space for them to fit. Because if they don't see a place to fit, they will never come back. That's right. So you and I need to give up and do something about it. One thing I love, I've always loved about this place, when somebody new comes, I'll talk to them and they say, you know what? I felt love in this place from the very first time I walked in. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the sweet spirit of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right? And a bunch of people who don't always do it correctly, but ain't so high on their own horse that they can't see where they're wrong. Right? Like, we got to do that, and we're going to do that. We're doing good. I'm proud of you. We got a long way to go, but it ain't going to feel like nothing. We're just going to keep keep going. We're going to start doing things. So all this, this is one of my favorite things that we've been talking as a leadership team about what makes our church different and how do we want to be different. We want a family. I wanted a family to love me. Hannah wants a family to love her. And you're going to see her Facebook post where she does her thing. Blah, blah, blah. You'll see anybody else puking their garbage out. It's just like, oh, come on. Right? Because I'm better than that. Aha, catch yourself in sunshine. 
and love her. And love her through it. And love them through it. <coughs> right? They need to be supported. They need to be loved. And that's what we're going to do. So family, family are the nature of a unit ordained by God for the comfort and protection of its members. So these little girls over here, we may or may not see them again. You'll see the one in the pajamas again. At least you better. If I have anything to say about it. But how are they going to know that they're loved? And how important, out of you women, how many of you guys have ever been 13 before? Do you remember, do you remember all the garbage that you were going through in your heart and in your head at 13 years old? Like how jacked up you were? Like you thought you knew, but you didn't have any confidence to actually do it. And you're like stuck in this, woo, this, your brain's just going, man, your, your hormones are going, man, everything's just freaking out. How do we love them through it? How do we let them know how valuable and important they are? Right? How do we do that? Because that's important, right? To help them to support in this time of growth. It's super important. And where are they going to get it? So they lean heavily on one another. Just like we do. Lean heavily on our family, our friends. Well, what happens when your family isn't around? You have to have a church family. You have to have the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You have to have the unity in the church. So we need to do church differently, amen? amen. It's not about a one-hour sit-down and get, it done, get her done and check the box and move on. Right? It can't be about that anymore. It can't be. And we're not going to let it be. All right, so it is usually a group of relatives, but the people of God are also seen as family, amen? Amen. amen. Family, all happy families are alike, but each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Little quote from Leo Tolstoy. So Israelite nomenclature, just fancy word for whatever, is the clearest window into Israelite kinship structure. And why do why would we talk about the Israelite kinship? <coughs> the Israelite kinship structure. How many of you guys got up this morning with this burning desire in your mind that, oh, yeah, I want to learn about the Israelite kinship structure. Yeah. No comment. Right? Like, that was just the burning thing in you today. I knew it was. I was. That's why you're all here. We started this morning with the book of Ruth. So we we did we delved into Israelite kinship this morning. Oh, well, hallelujah. So here we go. Discussion I was having with the group of people how Thank we're you. adopted into the Israelite family. Five all right. Ten. So the search. <laughs> so the you reason they talk it. about this, the reason they're talking about this and this Israelite kinship structure, the search for the guilty person responsible for Israel's defeat at I narrows down from tribe, Tibet, to clan, Mishpaha, to family, Betta, yeah. and finally to the individual. So those are the Hebrew words for it. And you'll see that there's three <coughs> forms in that family. So what do we have here? We have our, our nuclear family, which is mom, dad, or maybe it's our kids, that being the nuclear, the close. Um, then you can say we have uh, family here uh, at church or outer cousins, that kind of thing. 
Um, finally, you have like in-laws and, and whatnot. And so we're going to study into this a little bit more. Family, Hebrew word, bayit or house, mispahah, Greek, oikos, the basic social unit comprised of persons related by kinship and sharing a common residence. That would be your house. The Israelite family was an extended family known as the father's house or household, betah, consisting of two or more nuclear families, i.e. a married couple and their children, or composite families, an individual with multiple spouses and their offspring. So Jesus' teachings tend to de-emphasize the importance of one's biological family. Now what we're about to get into is probably going to drop some of your jaws a little bit because when you hear the scripture for what the scripture says, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what? All right, so it tends to de-emphasize the importance of one's biological family, replacing it with membership in the spiritual family of those who follow Christ. And this is really, really important. We're just going to do the Mark 3, 31 to 35. So turn in your Bibles to Mark 3, 31 to 35. There. You say, got it. Got it. <laughs> it's a race. Not a race. The race is on, and here comes pride in the back stretch. Start right. from the inside. Like you got stopped. Mark 3, 31 to 35. Mark. Is Mark in the Old Testament or the New Testament? New. All right, so got you, it. you caught up. The right half of your Bible is, or the left half of your Bible, we're past it. And so what else is in there, or what, what else is close to Mark? Matthew is in front, and Luke behind. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the what Gospels? Oh. What are those first three Gospels called? I heard you. They're called the Synoptic Gospels. Thank you. Which means that somebody feels that there's enough enough about them that are similar that would make a person draw a conclusion or a thought that they were all written or based off the same. So, all right, everybody there? Yeah. Where are you at there, Hannah? Three. Yep. All right, good girl. Everybody else? Oh yeah. Getting ready? Here we go. Nine hundred and thirty. Excellent. Good job, girls. All right, so Mark 3, 31 to 35. And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Oh, snap. He did not just go there. Right? Like, what, 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 hap what happened? What happened to honor your father and your mother? What happened to all that? Scripture, you, you. it says, don't call anyone other than God Father. 
for a reason, because it is God who has formed us in our mother's womb. Right? So, it's still there honoring our earthly mother and father, but it's got to be... But why is he saying this? Somebody besides the preacher... Well, we're going to get into this because, like, you read that, like, all right, here's Jesus. Like, who's my father and mother? Like, what are you talking about? Who's my brothers? What? what, what? Who's my mother and my brothers? No, these guys are my mothers and my brothers. And the whole town, everybody in there knows that that's his mother and brother. Who's honoring who? Why would they, if they believed and walked with Christ at that point in time, why would they call him out of his mission? Why would they not be standing next to him in his mission? Huh. Kind of an interesting little conundrum we have here, eh, Jesus? He's got to, this has got to be a typo, right? <laughs> this is fun. This is fun because it don't make no sense. It's another one of those places where the world might tell you that the Bible contradicts itself. However, we in this church do not believe in contradictions of the scripture. We do not believe that the scripture has errors. So we believe in the inerrancy of the word of God. And so there must be an explanation. So we continue. The gospel according to Mark is another um, commentary I used. So in doing so, Jesus redefines family. Huh. Without spite, Jesus <coughs> alerts his natural family that blood relationship cannot claim privilege. At the same time, the statement indicates that those who sit around him and do God's will are his family. There are only two kinds of people, those who sit on the inside at Jesus' feet and those who stand on the outside with false Assumptions. Ooh. How do you like that for breakfast? What do you think? Does that sound like sweet little Jesus with tame, the tame little lamb? <coughs> or do you think that perhaps we've become soft in our understanding of the scriptures. We become soft in the way that we love one another. And we become unwilling to actually lift people up to the realities of the scripture and what it's calling us to. Because sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to call your mother and your brothers who won't even come to listen to the Messiah. It's hard to say, you're not, you're not acting like my family. My family's right here. These are the ones that love me. You see, we have all these conflicts in our world that try and pull us from the feet of Jesus, try and pull us from the message of the cross, try and pull us from the beauty and the grace and the love and the mercy of the Father to only get us out into the wilderness where we're confused and lost. But if we stay humbled at the feet of God, we will love our brothers, our mothers, all these people who don't believe as though they are non-believers. But what does a non-believer get? Love. Encouragement. So truthfully, what are we to do? 
how do these things change us as people? And so when we dream about 2022, how do our dreams look different? What are you putting first in your world? And how does that change the face of the city of Portage? Or the face of the families around you? How does it help to build up these little girls? That little boy? We have a mission. There's four of them right here. And if you and I are off our rockers and presenting the gospel that ain't what Jesus Christ is presenting, how are we going to present the right one to these guys? What chance do they have? If we're not doing it, I hope like heck that somebody finds them somewhere long before I let somebody find me. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Brother's Prayer in Scotland's holiest man. This is a beautiful thing about families. David and Robert McShane were Scottish brothers. Both had brilliant minds. There the resemblance ended. David, the older, was quiet and studious. He spent most of his leisure time at home helping with family chores. David was also a devoted Christian, too much so in the opinion of Robert. Once Robert came home from an evening of reveling and found David kneeling in prayer. I heard you call my name, Dave, he sneered. Am I really that bad? The sensitive David tried to explain, we're all sinners who need to trust in Christ. Robert shrugged and excused himself from the conversation. The door of opportunity swung wide for Robert when he enrolled in the University of Edinburgh. His talents for language, drawings, music, and poetry brought him many awards. His professors predicted greater fame ahead. Back home, David languished in illness, but he continued to pray for Robert until death silenced his lips. And then Robert became a Christian. In the years ahead, Robert's star steadily rose until he became the most beloved Presbyterian minister in Scotland in the British Isles. At 23, he became a pastor of the 4,000-member St. Peter's Church of Dundee. His ministry lasted only seven years, 1836 to 1843. He became known as the holiest man in Scotland. His church was crowded hours ahead of time by people anxious to hear him explain the scriptures. A painful consumption cough tortured, tortured his body during the last months of his life. Throughout his illness and even in his dying delirium, he talked about the one whom his brother had helped him to love. Family. Love your family. They might not always see the truth of the gospel. And family, boy, <coughs> has torn me up. But it's my prayer that after I'm dead and gone, maybe even while I'm still alive, I have family come to know Jesus Christ because they see me walking through trial and tribulation, through it all. I will praise the name of Jesus Christ, for it is sweeter than anything that this world has to offer. How great would it be to save one person's life? The woman who called me to church after my suicide attempt, my wife and I met her amazingly, by no coincidence, but a godsidence in Beaver Dam, our Columbus, showing the house to her daughter. And I reminded her again, and I said, thank you so much, Ruth. Thank you for loving me enough when I was nothing but a drunk and a drug addict. 
thank you for seeing that God could work even in me. And now I get to preach the gospel. And she's all like, ah, oh, Fred, you know, I didn't do nothing. I'm not, you know, just casting it off. But she had the audacity to bring the gospel to a drunk, to a drug addict, to a man whore, to a mouthy, filthy pig wretch. And here I am today. You see, so whether near or far, we need to be the loving hands of Jesus Christ. We need to be his hands and feet. We need to be his mouthpiece. And it's hard, and we're all going to fail sometimes. But we've got to lift one another up. He established his testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and they, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So we have a mission. We have a mission to do better than we've done. Maybe even better than what's been taught to us. We have a mission to study the word of God and take that gospel message to the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely. To our little ones. How are we loving up on these guys? What example are we showing? The mission's real. And we might just be hated along the way, but I don't care. I'll be loved for eternity. That, to me, is the mission. If you ask me what Torn's about, it's all about the heart. I could feed your belly to settle that which stirs your, your body. But if I could help you to realize your heart, help you to realize the love of Christ Jesus, help you to receive him in fullness, then I've done my job. And I will go to my deathbed a happy man, knowing that each and every day of my life I have strived to do better than the day before, to show a lost and broken world the love of Jesus Christ. That's important to me. So when I ask you what your goals are for 2022, maybe put it to prayer and ask God, Lord, how will you use me this year? How will you use me to help change the hearts of the broken, the lost, Lord, will you show me how to minister your gospel to the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely? Will you show me how to be a part of a church that actually wants to go and preach your love and grace to a world that so needs it? You guys are all a blessing to me. And it doesn't end with me. You're a blessing to the world around us. Could somebody shut that off, please?